is The Shortlist, a roundup of today's most captivating stories you'll want to share with your friends, compiled by USA Today editors. We're one step closer to traveling at the speed of sound. Not enough drama in the presidential election? How about a third party candidate? QE2 had a Joe Biden moment. For our first story today, from zero to 400 miles per hour in two seconds, welcome to the age of Hyperloop. Dozens of investors, partners, and media watched Wednesday as a bare metal sled rocketed along a straight track at super speed. Hyper One successfully demonstrated the future of transportation where people in cargo raced through tubes at nearly the speed of sound. Natalie de Blasio and Marco de la Cava of USA Today chat about today's demo and what it could mean for the future. Check it out. The Hyperloop Wars are on, and whoever wins will play a huge role in reinventing how we think about transportation. And I mean really reinventing. With a Hyperloop, you could zip from Los Angeles to San Francisco in 30 minutes. Compare that to a six-hour drive or an all-day train ride. But wait, what even is a Hyperloop? I'm Natalie de Blasio with USA Today, and I've got some questions for our reporter Marco Delacava. He's in Las Vegas today, where Hyperloop Technologies is revealing a glimpse of its futuristic high-speed tube transportation system. I asked Marco to talk to us, the possible future consumers of Hyperloop, and tell us what we need to know. First off, what the heck is this thing? The best way to describe it is essentially as a, a giant tube that connects two big cities. So the idea here, uh, as far as most Hyperloop companies are concerned, is to build something that connects cities that are, say, three, four, five hundred miles apart. Obviously, that would then take the place of uh, commuting or driving between these cities in a car or taking a train or taking a bus or even taking a plane. And the reason for that is the speeds that are anticipated with Hyperloop. So uh, in an average uh, plane, you're going about 500 miles an hour for uh, the bulk of your flight. Uh, Hyperloop, they say up to 750 miles an hour. That sounds amazing. Who doesn't want to cut down on travel time? But it also sounds expensive. Marco, how much do you think a ticket's going to cost? Well, a bit of an unknown right now. Uh, but uh, Elon Musk, who actually sort of is, is the guy who uh, is considered, the, I guess, the brainchild uh, behind the idea. In 2013, he sort of threw, it, threw down the gauntlet and said, hey, we should use magnetic levitation technology to build something that's even more efficient than high-speed trains that use that kind of maglev tech um, to race around Asia and Europe at speeds of 200-plus miles an hour. Um, anyway, Elon has uh, said that this uh, sort of fantasy uh, tube system, one going each way, uh, between uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles might cost between six, six and seven billion dollars. Uh, he's also postulated that it would cost maybe twenty dollars per person um, to make the trip, and I guess he's anticipating uh, demand that would uh, justify that sort of expense. Yep, 
You heard that right. Elon Musk thinks one day it's going to cost $20 to take a 30-minute Hyperloop ride and get from LA to San Francisco. While you let that one settle, I've got a couple questions about how this is going to work. Marco, where are these tubes going to go? Uh, so if you're talking about above ground, you could envision it taking the place of existing railway lines. So wherever you see railway, railroad tracks, um, you'll have these tubes that are shuttling passengers and cargo. Can't forget cargo. Cargo actually would probably be where most of the money is generated here. Um, but shuttling along in these tubes uh, above ground, maybe right next to the highway that you're on, uh, but going about 700 miles an hour. That would be quite a sight, I would think. Mm-hmm. Is anybody else's red flag going off? Is any of this safe? It sounds awfully fast. Is it safe? Well, um, obviously, to some degree, you can go 700 miles an hour and be uh, insulated from that uh, experience. If you just think about uh, NASA astronauts rocketing uh, into space at, at high speeds, um, they're okay. Uh, both uh, going up and coming back. Uh, 750 miles an hour, by the way, is, is really pretty much close to the speed of sound. Um, so safety-wise, I would think, uh, assuming there, there was no glitch and error in the, in the ride itself, you probably would be well insulated in your little cocoon uh, from any forces, G-forces, things like that. Um, the issue would be, obviously, any kind of breakdown. Um, if you're in a tube, you would think, obviously, there's nothing to run into. So at most, uh, probably the biggest issue would be if the thing just lost power and you got stuck. How would you get out? Would these tubes have doors every 100 yards or so? Just a question. Okay, so say it's safe and affordable and you want to go. Where can Hyperloop take you? Well, where will it go is a really good question. Uh, most of the companies in this space are um, really focused on these long-distance trips uh, for people and cargo. And uh, they, they really, to me, really do sound like sort of modern-day trains more than anything else. Uh, but there is a company out there called Skytran, and I recently spoke to their uh, CEO, and they're focused on a totally different market. Uh, they feel that really this magnetic levitation tech using pods, etc., really should be focused on inner cities, on commutes, on people who are spending two, three hours a day stuck in traffic in their car. Uh, Skytran, uh, which has about $30 million in funding, so not insignificant, and a partnership with NASA, um, they are proposing essentially a series of um, poles uh, that would then support a big rail and um, pods carrying two to four people would be suspended from this rail and they would go up to about 150 miles an hour um, using that same maglev type tech, although in Skytrans case it's, it's some patented version of maglev that they contend will be, you know, cheaper and, and efficient, et cetera, and won't break down. Um, but, uh, but these guys are really focused on solving the commuter uh, problem. And, and obviously, there probably aren't too many people commuting uh, daily between San Francisco and Los Angeles. So that's a really interesting uh, proposition and something to keep an eye on. Next up, Trump. Clinton. Candidate X? Donald Trump is seemingly the Republican presidential nominee. Hillary Clinton is the likely Democratic nominee. But what about a serious third-party candidate? 
the hashtag never Trump movement is contemplating one. President Obama is preparing for a presidential transition that could include one. In a new executive order, Obama established a council to help eligible candidates prepare for the presidency. That wording, eligible candidates, is a change from 2008 when President George W. Bush ordered the transition for the major party candidate for president. USA Today's Susan Page enlightens us on the what-ifs of a third candidate. Is it possible we'd see another, a credible third-party campaign by somebody? It's a difficult thing to do, but the experts say it's not impossible. If Trump wins the GOP nomination, a mainstream Republican just might want to run. There's speculation about Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush or Rick Perry. If Trump loses the nomination, he won't rule out the possibility that he might run anyway. In the past, third-party candidates haven't won the White House, but they have sometimes had an impact on who does. There are a couple ways it might work. One, an independent campaign with volunteers gathering names for petitions to get on state ballots. That's what Ross Perot did in 1992 when he got nearly 20% of the vote in November, the most of any third-party candidate in modern times. Or two, get the nomination of an existing third party. That's what Ralph Nader did with the Green Party in 2000. The Libertarian Party, for example, expects to be on all 50 state ballots this fall. The party's chairman told me he's gotten calls from contenders asking how that nomination process works. Or a candidate like Donald Trump, he might even be able to consider a write-in campaign for president. Now that would make history. And for our last story today, we are not amused. The story goes, Britain's Queen Elizabeth II was caught on camera describing Chinese officials as, quote, very rude. The monarch made the comments to Scotland Yard Commander Lucy Dorsey at a Buckingham Palace event Tuesday to mark her recent 90th birthday. In the footage recorded by the palace's cameraman, Dorsey tells the queen about the faux pas. They, the Chinese, were very rude to the ambassador, the queen said, to which Dorsey agreed. China's foreign ministry spokesman, Liu Kang, said that China's president, Xi Jinping, made a very successful visit to Britain. Take a listen to this AP clip. Can I present Commander Lucy Dawson, gold oh, commander when the Chinese state visited, oh. and who was seriously, yes. seriously undermined by the Chinese, and she managed to carry her out with the lady in command, and her mother, Judith, who is involved with child protection and social You must tell your story. Visit. Yes, I was the uh, gold commander, so I'm not sure whether you knew, but it was quite a testing time for me. I did. It was, uh, I think, at the point that they walked out of Lancaster House and told me that the trip was off. I felt. Uh, they were very rude to the ambassador. They were. Well, she was, yes, yeah, so Barbara, she was with me, and uh, they walked out of my feet. It was very rude and very undiplomatic, I thought. That's it for the shortlist. Tomorrow morning, be sure to listen to USA Today's five things, giving you the top stories you need before you start your workday. 
The short list and five things are part of the USA Today podcast network. You can stream or download our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Robin Smith. Thanks for listening.